Hello and welcome to the episode of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton. Today, you're in for a treat. I had the privilege of speaking with Kim Pimpkin. She's a she's a visionary leader uh, in nonprofit leadership and community development, commercial real estate, and she has over 25 years of professional experience in the built environment. And this was just a ton of fun to have this conversation. We we talk about a lot from her upbringing and influences in her life and the decisions that she made in her career path and. This one ran a little long, longer than uh, than some of the other ones. But if you listen to it, if you, if you stick around, and, and I hope you do, you're in for a treat. Um, you know, she's just a very dynamic individual and very impressive. And there's a lot to take from from this episode. So join us as we explore Kim's remarkable journey, insights into her DEI consulting and the impact of her work in nonprofit leadership and community development. So without any further delay, here's Kim Pipkin. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. This is very exciting. Oh, it's very exciting for me. And we've been talking about this and thinking about this for a while. So to have you here is an absolute pleasure. I will have given an introduction prior to this. But if you, in your own words, could introduce yourself. Well, there's a lot to say, but I'm going to start with this. Uh, Again, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, My name is Kim Pipkin, and I'm the executive director for Black Developers Forum. Uh, I have 30 plus a few minutes, uh, years of experience in the built environment, which includes um, going to uh, Berkeley for graduate architecture school. I have an MBA and I've worked for several notable general contractors, architects, construction managers. And I've also had in the past, I have with my partner, we had a small boutique PR and communications firm. And our clients were exclusively real estate developers and brokers. So my career has been in the built environment and um, I'm happy to be here today. There's so many things I want to ask you about what you're currently working on and the buildup to how you got there. But in your recollection, when you got into, because it was your major in college, it's what you started out doing. What was your first introduction into the built environment, commercial real estate or architecture in general? Well, I'm going to start from the very, very beginning, which goes back to when I was a very small child. Um, My mother should have been an architect um, because she was a design person, but probably not allowed to be those things because it wasn't a thing one did when she was growing up. Um, I am a Hoosier from Indiana, and I lived in a classic prairie style house, you know, door with a couple of windows. But my neighbor was an architect and he was a black architect, one of the few actually in the state of Indiana. And he had a beautiful mid-century house. And I thought, well, what is that? That's really, that's unusual. That's different than everybody else's house. And I, that was kind of the catalyst for it was, I want to live in a house like that. And then another friend of mine around the corner, her parents had a big mid-century house because they were affluent. And I'm thinking, that's how I want to live. And so the three things were black architect, my own mother, and another uh, neighbor who had a 
houses and lived in environments that I wanted to be in. And literally, that's the start of it. And how old were you at this point? Oh, I was probably eight. Eight years old? Yeah. And then I want to add that. So my mother and I would go to um, big residential, uh, you know, new residential developments. And we would focus on redesigning them and maybe painting them and adding different tiles and backsplashes. But I didn't realize that looking at an individual house was actually this big multi-acre real estate development. I, mm. I didn't make that connection. One of the things that I've talked about with a lot of people, just how in the black community, you see people that are, you know, sports and entertainment. And those are the people we look to, but it sounds like at an early age, you saw people that were successful. That was actually a little closer to home. No pun intended. Well, yeah. No, and if you think about it, um, well, I'm I'm going to attribute a lot of that to being a Midwesterner and being very pragmatic, which is, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't get, don't get above your skis or whatever that comment is, which is, you know, you live a simpler life. You're not showy. So to be thinking about a celebrity or living some flat flashy life was just simply not something I knew about. Uh, we were, you know, I, I worked, I was a paper girl, right? So I wasn't dreaming of being a princess and a famous person. I was trying to get some money. Mm, mm. And and knowing that you already saw that and that's where the path you want to go, what did you take any specific steps to realize that as an early age, like asking questions or trying to figure out how to maneuver that path? Uh, to be honest, I don't think it was intentional. I think that a lot of times it's simply about where you are, the environment you're around, the people you're around, uh, the, the inspirations that you happen to uh sort of encounter. And so I'm going to go back to my mother, uh, although she never was an architect and she didn't become one because she ended up being a nurse. That's kind of classic. Um, she had a beautiful house. She had, we, I lived in a beautiful home. It was well-designed mm -hmm. and put together. So my environment was again, a part of the catalyst for me to aspire how I wanted to live. And now at some point, you know, fast forward into graduate school or into undergraduate, I chose to go to a liberal arts school because I wanted to have a big world view. I didn't want to, I wasn't on a career path. I was, gotcha. on a, I was on a open my mind up kind of a path. Gotcha. So you weren't, you saw it and you were exposed to it, but it wasn't, this is exactly what I want to do, but you still had that as a reference point. That's fantastic. Yes. So when you were in college I and mean, you're, you're in school, you're opening your mind, you're here, you're getting this experience. And when was it then that you started to really lean towards um, really figuring out this next step in your career? I'm going to keep going back to the people that I was associating with the rooms and the spaces that I was in and the opportunities I had. Um, so I went to an all girls high school and I went, the primary constituency or the population were affluent white girls. And I lived in a very nice neighborhood that had a small college in it. So I lived around beautiful houses. We weren't wealthy by any stretch. We were comfortable, but I lived around beautiful things and nice architecture, you know, nice design. Things were put together and assembled. And then when I went to undergraduate, I went to a school called Antioch, which is in Yellow Springs, Ohio, home of Dave Chappelle. 
Mm. And um, I had several co-op jobs. That's, you know, kind of the work study. They're the origins of the work study program. And one of my first co-op jobs was in Washington, D.C., where I lived with a very affluent African-American family who had a three-story brownstone, and it was beautiful. And then like my second co-op, I lived with a very wealthy Jewish family in Houston, and he was a real estate developer, and she was the president of the Houston Museum of Fine Arts. So I just kept being in these spaces, the literal physical spaces that were beautiful, right? It wasn't so much about the money, but it was about the way people lived, right? Art, you know, flowers, you know, plant life. So it sort of was a part of my, the way I was exposed and the way I lived. I I will add that I'm a Libra, which may or may not be appropriate, but you know, it's about the beauty. So, uh, but I just kind of kept going towards more of that. Looking back on that, do you, do you see like your decision-making? Cause it sounds like you were in, in the room and you were exposed to it. And it was almost like the, since you're talking about uh, the sign, everything, the universe was like pulling you toward, you were just gravitating towards this, these, uh, these things. Yes. And I, and I would attribute that to, well, one, I'm an only child and I, I don't think I had people telling me I couldn't do a thing. Hmm. Right? Some people steward you toward a thing. Like if there's a family legacy of lawyers or farmers or coal miners, you know, you might just go that way because it's kind of what the family says you should do. But I didn't have that. I was free to do whatever I chose. So I was exploring the things that were probably naturally my gifts or inherent talents. I didn't have anybody telling me I couldn't do a thing. So did you, did you you find as you grew up like that and you're exposed to these groups and you're finding this, was it, was it seamless? Were there ever any instances where it didn't seem to, or someone's like, no, this isn't for you. Or maybe this is a little more uncomfortable for you. (laughs) I don't recall any, uh, I was probably pretty inquisitive and I think maybe occasionally I got on people's nerves because I was relentless about what I wanted to know. And you you know, you probably heard that adage about if a kid is old enough to ask you a question, you should be able to answer it. Never heard that, but makes sense. But I'm saying I always got answers. Mm. So because I got answers and I didn't get turned away, I just kept going down that path of pursuing whatever that thing I was on. Were there ever in, any instances in your in your college and then in your early career that you came across something that you had to had to had to zig or zag? Or, for for example, you're on this path. It's like you mentioned, life is pulling you this direction. Everything's good, and then you see something on the court. And you're like, wait a minute, I think I want to take this path. Whether it's construction or you know the architecture, was there anything like that where you had to make a conscious decision? to uh to pivot <laughs> okay so yeah, I, I will i will tell you that so um i would say relatively speaking things were seamlessly and, and easy uh for me uh, it wasn't until i made the conscious decision to really pursue what i'm going to say is a career okay i did not know what real estate development was I just knew what architecture was. I knew what design was. And so I thought, where is 
the school I'm going to go to, who's got it, right? So I ended up, there was either going to be University of Oregon, you know, to become a duck because that had the preeminent, you know, or a preeminent architecture school. Um, I didn't want to go to an East Coast school. I wanted to be on the West Coast because I really wanted to live in California. And so there was Berkeley and then there was Oregon. And Berkeley is, you know, a very progressive school. It was well-renowned. And I thought my chances of going there were uh, better. Plus, I wanted to be in a more diverse environment. And I also wanted to be in a place that was, again, politically progressive, a little bit edgy, you know, someplace I could really test and spread myself out. Uh, And so I ended up going to Berkeley. But before I went to Berkeley, I wanted to work in the design field to see if it was really what I wanted to do. So I worked for a notable architecture firm who's no longer in existence uh, in downtown San Francisco. And the cool part was that's where I got my mentor. That's where I got my sponsor into graduate school. And that, I would say, is a really big part of what is lacking a lot of times for Black folks is having somebody who not just cracks the door open, but like busts the door down. And I had somebody who pretty much said, you can go to that school. I got the right connections. How did you meet that person? How did that relationship come to be? You know, I actually don't remember. I mean, I think it, it wasn't as if somebody said, hey, here's a job with Rodney Friedman and, you know, go go get it. But I, I don't know. I don't remember. But I was the receptionist. I was a receptionist, sort of marketing assistant, Girl Friday. I, you know, I was like a whole bunch of things. I wanted to get the experience to see what it was like. Now, this is all under the premise that I thought I was going to be in development slash the whole thing because I didn't know what it all was. And as the receptionist, Girl Friday, saw, you know, sidekick to the bosses, I was exposed to the most important people. I was the gatekeeper. Hmm. I was not paying any attention to the actual draft people, the people drafting in the back, making the designs. I had nothing to do with them. Did you did you realize that at the time that that opportunity would get you in into that place? I the- had I didn't know it consciously. I think I was hoping it was going to be the thing I would experience, like the the outcome I would get. But I mean, I'd have big shot developers calling me. Right? I was the one who was get I was the gatekeeper. When they they came to the office, I was their point of contact. They knew exactly who I was. I knew exactly who they were. I knew what they were working on. So that, I thought that that was I thought that that was what it was all about. I I had no I had no interest in drawing anything. Yeah, you know, in that the fact that you got in the door and you're there and you're the gatekeeper, you're you're in between the information's coming by you, then you can be a sponge in a way and you can you can start to really absorb the the mannerisms even or the you know the terminology all that all that and um yeah that's really interesting and that's something i think to your point about what's lacking sometimes is, is that mentorship piece sometimes it's not as formal as a mentor mentee it's just being in the room and being around it to absorb it and sometimes it doesn't have to be as formal as traditional mentorship well, no, and, I, and I'm serious. I was upfront when they were talking about the money or the lack thereof, who owed it, who didn't, who wasn't paying. And I would be listening to the arguments and the fighting between my architect boss and the developers. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no doors shut. There was no private conversations. I was right in the middle of listening and absorbing it because remember, I was partially protecting my bosses, mm-hmm. right? Literally. And so that experience and how long were you in that role or in that capacity? So, so I was there a couple of years because remember my goal was to go to architecture school. Sure. Um, and so subsequently, because I had that experience, it accelerated my ability to apply because I had that experience. I had like real life experience. So when I was crafting my essay, for example, I could really speak to what it was like to run an architecture firm, to win the work, to pursue new clients or client engagement. So my focus was really about, by accident, my focus ended up being on the business part of it, not the design part. So when I got to Berkeley, I was disappointed because I thought this is what, this is not real world. This is not the real world. This is not what's happening. So back to your comment about pivoting was the fact that I was disappointed in the program because it was too theoretical for me. Now it may not be for others, but it was too theoretical for me. And I felt as if it was not pragmatic or practical and that I couldn't get a job when I got out of there. So that's when the big pivot came. And I also realized that, wait a minute, what I really want to do is in the Haas School of Business next door because that's where the real estate program was. But I didn't even know there was a real estate program. Yeah. It's funny that you were at this. Oh, it's not funny. But yeah, it is kind of funny. But you were swimming in the ocean, essentially, getting that job. You got swimming in the ocean. You got to see the waves, the sharks, and then you go back to school and you're at a pool. You're like, wait a minute. This isn't how it really is out there. So you bring that experience with you when you went to school. Wow, that's that's insightful. Yeah, but I was mad about it. Well, I mean, sometimes, well, yeah, you you were mad, but I mean, that anger is energy and you use that energy to make a decision to do something else when you went to school. Well, yeah, but I, I want to correct it by saying where the madness came from was the fact that I was like, I want to go take some courses over here at the Haas School of Business, you know, in real estate at the Fisher School. Well, we can't do that. Mm. We're not allowed to do cross, you know, cross school. You know, you can't take a class over there because that's just now how it works. So I'm like, well, why can't I? I'm in graduate school. This this is the when you're supposed to be able to craft your own journey here, not mm-hmm. undergraduate, right? And it was like, no, 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 no. So I was deeply disappointed. And I have no problems with saying that. It was one of the regrets of my life, and I've had few. So I got an MBA. That's what I went and got an MBA. But yeah. here's where the other pivoting came from, which is having to decide whether or not I was going to make a radical shift and go to like an MBA program because I didn't know anything about an MRED program. I'm not even sure they had MRED programs back then. But so rather than sort of find myself, you know. And for, excuse me, for, for real quick, for our listeners, uh, MRED is the Master's in Real Estate Development? Yes, correct. I'm sorry. I should have been clear. Yes, that's exactly right. So rather Well, than, I said for, for our listeners and, and our hosts. Yes, so. yes. Uh, <laughs> To, to not to not consider this whole experience a wash, right? I ended up getting a job at a, another notable architecture firm in the marketing department. And that's when things went my way because I realized that part of the struggle was I'm a people person. 
I love people and I love the business part of it. It's like, where does it, where do I fit in this schema? And so that really launched my career. So the majority of my career has been on the marketing and business development side of things. Mm -hmm. If you can't outpace me with the BD, because I am good at it. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I've seen you in action. You're, you're, you're good. You're good. So tell me more about about these these steps here. When you when you when you go and you get your you get your MBA and you do it like what what does that next step in your career look like? So I so my MBA program I did actually a, an executive program at a local college here because I realized that uh, again I'm going to go back to my Midwestern roots as I'm a worker, right? Um, and so I worked and did that program, and it allowed me to blend my love of the built environment with the business side, like really learning business principles through the MBA program. And it gave me a level, a level of credibility, I think with potential employers and even in my business circles that I was, you know, I was striving for something higher or different or more expansive. And um, it, it really helped my career to have both the back the background in architecture and the and the business especially because even still today I'm an anomaly there are very few black women who are my age one went to architecture school have an MBA I'm I'm one of the few and now there might be a few more today but not when I was coming through and how did, did you when you you knew that as it was as you were doing it and you're going and it sounds like from most of what you said that you didn't really face many obstacles or challenges as it relates to getting pushback um, because of your, your gender, your race or anything like that. No, you know, um, if that was the case, I would remember it, mm -hmm. but I would say I don't have any experiences where I felt like I was uh, turned down excluded now of course i don't i don't know that because i don't know where those rooms were and i don't know sure. maybe who overlooked me but i'm saying from my point of view i i had a pretty nice tour of duty people were responsive to me um i had opportunities that s sort of set me up mm -hmm. if there were some that were maybe not so good i don't know i can't really say that i had a you know i can't think of anything negative i can think of some you know bad bosses well, no, that that's okay, and I'm not I'm not fishing for you to no, no, for you no, to no, say no. something negative. I'm just saying that's that's refreshing to hear because you know you do hear a lot about people that you know felt like they faced headwinds and and maybe missed out on opportunities because of the old boys that were you know just, that you hear those you hear those stories and and it, it's, yeah, it's true, I'm, I'm gonna, but it's not but it's not everybody's experience necessarily. Yeah, you know, I'm going to say a few things that, that that you know how there's in life there's layers, right? Um, and so. One, I think because I'm an only child, um, I, I'm pretty good with uh, navigating spaces easier because it's not like a group thing, right? I can sort of squeeze in here and hide over here. Uh, I would attribute my, not even kidding, my going to an all-girls high school as helping me to be ladylike in certain places, um, know how to code switch in different environments, um, and you know, I have a passport, I've been places, <laughs> right. So I can, I can speak and be in spaces that maybe other people don't feel comfortable in. 
Mm. I'm not saying that that's true for everybody, but I'm saying that may have been why things seem to be uh, easy for me. Mm. Well, maybe easy is not, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it's not, but it sounds like you have a less challenging. it's, It's graceful. Uh, you will, you know, if you, if you can maneuver different areas and do that, then you can do things in more of a graceful manner. And it could, and also I, I want to add that, you know, it's like timing. So it could be that in my, in the sort of pivotal or, you know, crucial parts of my life, there was more opening, there was more optimism, there was more welcoming. I don't know, but I'm saying it didn't always feel like it was a hardship. I didn't have to work really hard. Do you, and I know you attribute a lot of this to your upbringing and your, and your, your parents, which is wonderful. Did you, I'm just trying to think through this. Did you recognize this at a, at an early age that you, that you had this demeanor, you had this uh, way about you that, that you, did you, did you recognize that early on? No, but I will say, um, being an only child, when you kind of think, you know, I I don't know anything about sharing, for example. I mean, I just don't know because I wasn't raised to share anything because I didn't have anybody to share it with. And so I think that, again, when when my family, you know, said the sky, the world's your oyster, the sky is the limit, that I just thought that that was true. So one, I don't take no for an answer. And then, by the way, I don't like being negatively motivated because once you negatively motivate me, I am going to go after a thing. Okay. So that right there. So how, when did you learn that, that, that you don't respond to those things? I, I, cause I love this. Cause this is one of the things that like figuring out how you motivate yourself, how you motivate others, how others can motivate you, you know, all those aspects um, is, has that been something that, that you've learned over the years? Yes. So, so rather than, you know, facing blatant, you know, like doors being shut in your face or whatever, it's, it's probably people, you know, you know, suggesting that I might be aspiring, you know, a little bit too high or, you know, is that really what you want to be doing? Or, and it's like, okay, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I see where you're coming from. So now I'm going to do that thing. Yeah. Now I don't have to report into you, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to demonstrate to you. See that thing you said I wasn't going to do. I just did it. Yeah. It's like a touche. I mean, I am <laughs> totally that person. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, so I want to, I want to kind of come back to, to your career path. Cause I, I'm actually, a lot of these things that you're saying, and it's, it's funny that you really see somebody's personality as you start to walk through their journey and what they do and how they look at things. So this is fantastic. Um, so you, you, the next, the next step of your career, like let's, let's, let's pace through this. Tell me, tell me about the next, the next pieces. Well, you know, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to condense it, but pretty much once I realized that, you know, the actual architecture wasn't my path and it wasn't my passion. Uh, I just jumped right into the marketing and the business development. And, you know, I, I work for some really great firms. Uh, I, I attribute a huge portion of my character building in my career, like the character of me 
having been developed by working for um, one of my favorite, I'm a fan girl of Swinners and Builders. It's not necessarily I'm giving them a commercial, but um, I worked for them twice. And, you know, it's a big contractor firm. They're here in the Bay Area and California and other places. And I had some great mentors. And they are men and they are builders and they don't care that you're a female and they want you to perform. And so I, I that was when the real metal was tested. Mm-hmm. So, and this, and this is for uh, the yeah. marketing business development. Was there um, a sales training portion of that? Was this? No, no, no. So here's the thing is that before that, I want to go back a bit, but before that, I actually worked for a black owned construction management company called Don Todd Associates. Um, it's no longer in business, but that was kind of my on ramping to like, uh, like the more serious business development. I'd had junior level jobs doing marketing. I can outpace anybody on a proposal. Okay. Listen, I know how to read the fine print contract compliance. I know how to do that so well. And it's because I worked at places where they pursued public work. They pursued work that required contract compliance. So it was kind of that, you know, ground game, you know, blocking and tackling. And once I mastered that, then I got my wings and then I got into the client development side. So I worked for a black owned um, CM firm. They did a lot of public work and uh, public transportation like BART, which is here, um, clean water. And so I got sort of that big infrastructure work down. Uh, and then I went to work for Swinnerton, which is pursuing private clients. But my specialty was in the interiors, what they now call the special projects group. But So because I had an architectural background, I knew how to mingle with the design people. And I was able to leverage that into new opportunity for Swinnerton. Mm-hmm. So the name of this podcast is the tools, talents, and techniques. And I think one of the things that you have been hitting on are all the talents that, that you have and the techniques that you used um, to, to maneuver that space. Was there, was there anything that, that really stood out in your opinion, being at Swinnerton that, um, that maybe a, a transferable skill that you could use in, in multiple different layers in the, in the company? Yes. So, I'm glad you reminded me of the name of the podcast because I want to speak to the tools, right? Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Because tools, um, you know, as a metaphor, you know, working for a CM and working for a general contractor, you know, you've got the classic tool belt and in that tool belt are various tools, a hammer, a screwdriver, or whatever else. And similarly in marketing, while one of the tools is the ability to write and craft sentences. There's also the ability to embellish and to amplify people who maybe are less talented, right? If I'm selling you and I got to, you know, make you look good on paper in a proposal, you have to learn. That's a craft, the right words, you know, using the the vernacular, uh, 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 the the language of your industry, right? To, To read an RFP, a request for proposal, and literally answer the questions. Like, don't go off the rails with your own story, but answer the questions. Check every single box. Read every single line. And the reason I'm great at it is because I went to Catholic school. Hmm. That's what I'm going to tell you, because you cannot get out of there without an I dotted and a T cross. At least that was my experience. So when you're talking about the tools, which is, you know, 
the devil or God is in the detail. Mm. And I can catch those kinds of things like immediately when I see somebody's submittal or I'm always going to be looking for somebody to make an error. Because what you learn is, let's say in a selection panel, they're trying to eliminate. They don't want to read a hundred things. They want to read a few things. So if you mess up in one thing, like not following instructions, not using the right font, not using the right font size, putting it in the wrong place, being over decorative, they just shut that stuff into the round file, like immediately. So it really helps you. It's like being a copy editor. You learn how to really say what you want to say succinctly and get across whatever you're trying to pitch. Yeah. And there's something I would like to add. I would love to hear your opinion on this. Cause something that I realized later on when I, I was doing some writing, uh, it was an article a few years ago. And one of the things I had never done anything quite like this before is for, for a publication. And after I finished writing my draft, I gave it to uh, somebody that I, that I trust to, to review it and edit it. And then after they edited it, I or you know looked at it, made their made their revisions and suggestions. I gave it to somebody else to look at it that I trust, and then they made some edits, and then I gave it to somebody else. And it, these people were all people that I that I like and I trust, and in different circles, and they all had their. And I just sent it around a couple times, and when it when it was published, people were like, "Oh my god, this is so good!" But the thing was, it's a team effort. It's a, it's a team effort. I mean, I, I think I did an okay job in the beginning, but it was the, all the people together putting their efforts. And so in your experience and, and you're, you're doing a deep dive and you're crossing all your T's, dotting your I's, did you have an experience with um, working as a team with people? You mentioned mentors before and people that you, that you really like. Was there anything that you worked in conjunction with other people as it relates to this? Or are you just, are you just, nope, I got it. <laughs> Trust no, me. No, 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 yeah. no. No, again, I'm just, so much of what I am sharing here is a really retrospective, right? You don't realize mm-hmm. what, what you experienced in the past comes forward and how it shows up, right? And so, you know, I can tell you, you know, going back to Sister Regina Therese, who was my Shakespeare junior senior English teacher, she just told us immediately, don't even expect an A in here because nobody knows Shakespeare better than me. Okay. Ooh. So like you already know that that's going to be, you know, she's going to take a red pen and be bleeding on your paper. Right. But also I attribute that to be, say, I was a gymnast. uh, I was a dancer and you're either dancing singularly, but you're dancing within a group of people and you are in concert with the people. Right. So, so many of these little examples still come forward into how you, Uh, mature and they build your character. And um, when you're in design school, you get critiques. Okay. That means everybody gets to look at your stuff and you put it up on the board and they talk about you like a dog. Okay. And you learn how to take the body blows and lots of times what they're critiquing, not to be mean, is exactly the things that you probably needed to work on anyway. It's very provocative. It's like helps you think differently to help you be expansive in your, in, in, in your aspirations. And, you know, what about this? What about that? Like, oh yeah, I didn't think of it. 
that's a good idea. So it wasn't always directly, you know, a specific thing. It's just simply the bigger way of thinking. It's, uh, critical, far, it's critical thinking skills in real life. Yeah. And, and as far as that relates to collaboration as well. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. All of that. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. And it's amazing what you said in retrospect, when you go back and you think about all these instances in your life and what they have meant to you at that time, and then where you see them showing up in your life now, it's always a fun, fun process. Well, yeah, hopefully we all think about that. I mean, I I can just think of so many examples of like being in sleepover camp where, you know, we all had to get up in the morning and make the beds. And, you know, if you didn't make your bed right, we weren't going to be going to breakfast. So it's like, get on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Tuck in that corner or else we're going to have to do the dishes later. Right. We have to do that. Let me ask you this, because I want to make sure that we we spend some time focusing on what you're currently working on. Um, And I know I know that in talking about that will lead back into some of your, your, your prior experience as well. But could you share with our listeners a, a little bit more about your, your current role and what you do? Well, I have to tell you, um, as the executive director for Black Developers Forum, it is not a job. It is my calling. It represents the culmination of all of the things that I have done. In every aspect of my career, whether working for MEP, a mechanical electrical plumbing engineer, working for a construction manager, being a consultant, having my own marketing communications business, uh, working for design firms. It, it is it is the center of the universe for me. Um, what's different about working at Black Developers Forum is that it is purpose and mission-driven for the greater good. In all of my other work professionally, there have been very specific outcomes that had to do with profit and making people wealthy, building the portfolio, right? It was about a discipline. It was about, it was very discipline centered. We are builders. We are architects. We, we want to win awards. We want to get new, uh, new uh, commissions. It wasn't necessarily people-centered around sort of a greater good. So Black Developers Forum, um, you know, has been around for two and a half years. It is an organization that is a nonprofit based in California. And it is bringing together, it's helping to coalesce Black real estate developers who want to do good things. They want to build communities, whether it's housing of any kind, affordable multifamily market rate, single family, or whether it's, I want to build a, you know, a hundred story commercial building, or I want to do life science buildings or higher education. We are developers. We happen to maybe be from the African diaspora. That's the, that that's it. Okay. It doesn't have anything to do partially with whether we're black or not. I mean, it's important. There's no doubt about it, but we want to be a part of the built environment. And I say this to people every day, I get a chance. Black people in America have been involved in real estate development since 1619. Mm. So as far as I'm concerned, everybody here is in real estate development. <laughs> so how, how did this role come to be? How, how did you said it's been around for two and a half years? Uh, what was the 
what was the evolution uh, of this coming to be and you know how, how, how did, did you get, yeah and how, well, how did how did how did it all come together okay so i'm gonna go back to something you said earlier and i i haven't used this word because i do have uh i do believe in magic right and magical thinking and being in the right place at the right time and you know Maybe there's some sprinkle dust on things for me sometimes. Uh, but it just so happens that I was uh, doing commercial real estate brokerage for a firm who I will not name, um, but they're a very large national and international, and you would know who they are if I said, anyway. So during COVID, I was trying to do some deals, and I thought I'm going to go you know, do some stuff in Oakland, even though there wasn't much business. And so I reached out to a woman who uh, is a developer and she and I went to graduate architecture school together. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to be doing some real estate brokerage. And, you know, I know you're doing some development. You probably have access to tenants and, you know, potential tenants and, and can you give me some help? Can we have an audience? And so she says, that's great, but you could probably help me better because you're you're an expert in marketing and business development and i was like oh okay because i had my own consulting firm doing marketing communications focused on underrepresented um clientele if you will helping black developers helping black architects with their marketing and their business development strategy and so it just kind of fell into place but it goes back many years to when I was in graduate school with her, but we weren't friends necessarily. It just, it just happened. Hmm. She said, Hey, there's this organization. We could really use your help with marketing. And then it just sort of fell into place. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, from it's so cool. Yeah. Everything I see that, um, you know, magic or not, or serendipity, it's happening you're doing a great job. Yeah, I, I I can't even express how I mean I probably cry all the time when I tell people that because it's just so necessary. Um, and when you think about it, and, and even I can't speak to your experience, but so many times we feel like we're isolated. We're like the only kayak out there in the ocean. Like I'm all by myself in some ivory tower, and there's nobody who looks like me. I didn't even know that a Dustin was out there. I didn't even know there were these people doing this kind of work because it feels isolating. And when you get to uh, like here in the Bay area or even in California, it just seems so rare that you find people who look like you doing these things. So when you find them, you're just like, Oh my God, where have you been all my life? Hmm. Yeah, I can, I can echo that sentiment because that's exactly what the BCREN has been. Um, you know, and, and still there's not, there's not many in, in black members of the commercial real estate industry in San Diego, but I think we get getting to know each other now, now that we see each other. And I think that's a big part of what we've been doing with the, with the BCREN and um, actually not just finding other people that, that look like us and that are, are working in this industry, but also providing a platform to shine a light on them so other people can see them and not feel so alone. I, yeah. I think, I think that's a, that's a big part of what we're doing. Sure. And you know, there, there's something to be said about geography. You know, we're in California. Uh, California is its own GDP, right? We, we could just cut ourselves off in the United States and be perfectly happy. We, you know, we got Google and 
Facebook and, you know, we got the Central Valley, we got all the food, you know, so we don't really need a lot of other places, but because we're so big, it almost makes it more difficult for us to come together because we're spread out. Uh, and I, I want to give you some examples. Um, so recently, uh, June 29th, um, Black Developers Forum, BDF, um, and two other Black-led organizations, uh, um, African-American Real Estate Professionals Bay Area Chapter and Why Build, which is a, a new nonprofit that is focused on young professionals in development under 40. So we had a casual summer mixer uh, in honor of Juneteenth. And we had like, you know, maybe 140 people at a barbecue place, which was just fantastic. It was very relaxed, kind of like a professional cookout. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, sponsors brought a summer intern. Her name is Simone and she is going to an HBCU. She's interning at this contractor. She doesn't even know anything about us. She comes to the event and she's absolutely overwhelmed, like kind of almost catatonically overwhelmed because she said, one, I've I didn't know this many black people were even in this kind of industry. I didn't even know these kind of organizations existed. And she was just so excited. Now, this is an 18 year old girl in 2023 not understanding that this is like, this is a career path. She was like, so inspired. Like, that's what I'm all about. I'm all about creating a bench, succession planning, you know, if we're on the track, we're going to do the baton or the, whatever that thing is called, you know, we're going to pass that thing on. So that's a huge portion of what I am trying to accomplish, which is creating a succession plan so that we don't have those big gaps that we don't feel like we're isolated, that we are, you know, coming together. Um, and even if you're not in California as a black developer, or maybe you're not any of it in development at all, I want to make sure that I'm connecting you with the right people so that you can find opportunities to pursue maybe something in the built environment. Mm -hmm. Do you, are you familiar with the Builders of Color Coalition? I don't know them. I mean, I have heard of them. Yeah, they're they're out of Boston. Um that would be uh, a good person, you know, that, that organization. I think they'd be good for you to speak with because you're on different coasts, but I think you have very similar, uh, you know, thought process and, and what you're working towards. And I think there'd be a, a great bridge there. Yeah. So anyway, I digress. That, that's, um, that, that's a beautiful set. And I would, I would love to share with you something that I don't know if I told you this before, but in the, in the early days of, of BCREN, uh, not the early days. It's only been around for a couple of years, but I had a call with somebody who was just starting out in, in commercial real estate. And he wanted to have a conversation to talk about his opportunities. And, you know, after we had a call, you know, I, I connected him with somebody, he got an interview somewhere, but he said to me, he's like, wow, this is great. I've never seen this many black people in commercial real estate in one place before. And I was like, I, I, was like, I know it's, it's kind of wild. And then he said, uh, I'm starting to feel hopeful about my future in this career. And he said it as like an offhand comment and we hung up the phone. And then I was just so moved by him saying that. And it hit struck a chord somewhere so deep that I didn't even realize that because I had felt so alone for so long. And so hearing somebody say that I'm starting to feel hopeful about my future in this career, uh, just that one was like, okay, 
we're we're doing good. Something like all this work that we're doing and putting this together is is worth it. And um, it's amazing to have those and share those type of stories and those moments with people. It's everything. It is everything. Yeah, I, I also wanted to add that. Um, you know, it may be those feelings of aloneness, uh, although it, I do believe it's true that we are still rare. We already know that we are we represent a very small percentage of of the workforce, if you will, or the professionals in the built environment. When I talk about the building built environment, I mean all of it, right? Whether it's engineering, construction, design, uh, even land use attorneys, right? You know, because that's a part of it. Development, you you name it, government. Right. You know, how many of us are sitting in, you know, in positions in uh, planning departments or in policy positions? Right. We're still very few. And if you think about it, we've we've been positioned to be, I'd say, I'd say sometimes competing against each other. And so rather than coming together, we've been, you know, create we've been positioned to, you know, be either discouraged, divisiveness. And I think those days are gone. I think that people were like, you know, that was then and this is now. And, um, hey, I'm here to help. I'm not here to compete with you. Uh, I'm here to provide opportunity, you know, counsel, wh- whatever it is you need. I- I'm good over here, mm-hmm. right? No. Well, I think I think the I agree with you. My because my stamp, I've always felt like it's it's. Um, you know, it, it's it's coming together. Like it, it's it's not necessarily the competition; it's uh, it's cooperation over over um, competition. And it's been most of the instances in my life. And yeah, there's competition, no doubt. Like there's something to be said about that. But that collaboration, that that working together, it's so much sweeter when you win as a team and you work together to come to uh to success uh that's that's where it's at yeah well and also honestly uh we're going to talk about this because it's relevant to me personally and professionally which is you know the murder of george floyd you know amplified injustices that we already know existed they just simply weren't on the global stage we didn't have twitter black twitter instagram you know cell phones and things we didn't have that Right. Uh, Then COVID came along and exacerbated some of that because, you know, the plague killed all the people. Right. COVID was the plague in some form or another. And honestly, it's like, well, we don't care if you're rich or you're poor like that. It was a leveler if you catch my drift. Mm -hmm. So I think that that those two things really were were helping to be a catalyst for us to say, we're not going to take it anymore. We need to come together as a community. I, I need resources that maybe I didn't tap into also because we were on zoom and new, you know, zoom and teams and different sort of virtual realities that we could access people, right. Our, our trust and our faith in other people had to be either intensified or we just had to throw up our hands and say, I'm going to surrender. Dustin, I need your help. I'm over here in California or I'm over here. How do we how do we do this thing so we can stay alive, right? So mm-hmm. our survivability rate is really high because we've been through a lot culturally. But I'm saying, so that is really important. And I just love the fact that I can communicate with people who live in New York. I can see you. I don't have to play, take a plane to get there. Or I can email you 
critical information. I can share information that maybe I wasn't able to do before. So I'm just saying that our levels of our ability to be connected because of technology are really a part of some of our getting together that maybe we didn't have before. Oh, I, I, I'd agree with that. Thousand percent. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to talk more about what you're doing with the, with the uh, black developers forum and what you're, what you're working on. Is there anything specific that you can point to for, um, you know, our listeners or, or anybody that you're working on that, uh, you would like to highlight or you would like to share um, some initiatives that you're working towards moving forward, any goals for the organization? Yes. Well, there's, there's a, there's quite a, <laughs> a big questions. Yeah. Well, yes, because, okay. So here's the deal. Um, one would say it's a, it, it nonprofit is different than for-profit. Well, it's not because both, both kinds of organizations have to make money. So if you think a nonprofit is not about making money, that's not true. Um, and because, because BDF is young, it's right now it, for me, it's about the fundamentals, having the foundation of, you know, let's imagine a house, the foundation has to be stabilized. It has to be built of real solid materials with peers, you know, structural beams, if you will. And so, so much of what I'm doing is really building the organization so that it is sustainable, so that it does provide programs and it does do what its mission is. And so our mission is about advancement, representation, and advocacy. Okay. So it's easy to use those as a tagline, but you got to back it up. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do you advance the mission or how do you represent your members. And and remember for the audience, Black Developers Forum is a member-centered organization, right? As the ED, my job is to serve those people. And by serving them, I mean, what do they need? Like, what is it that they want from me? Which is, how do we help? How do I help them advance? How do I represent them in different sort of environments or on paper or in the world? You know, how do I advocate on behalf of black real estate developers? What are those tools? How do I do that? So those are, I'm going to call them, you know, everybody knows the acronym KPIs, you know, key performance indicators, creating strategies, um, forming relationships are huge. Uh, we talk about access to capital. What What does access to capital mean? We say it all the time. Well, access to capital means being in the room with the people who have it figuring out ways to get it, disseminate it, and spread amongst my members. Um, Who's got the better terms? One of the main things for me is communication. And that means getting out information to my members so that they are informed about things. Because most of us are smart, but we don't know everything. Like, oh, I didn't know about that fund. I didn't know that. U.S. Bank or say maybe, you know, a National Equity Fund or J.P. Morgan or like, I didn't realize that they had those resources. So Kim BDF ED brings those together in some kind of way and disseminates that information out. 
Right. And so you you mentioned a couple of things there when you said you were asking the questions like what what do they need what what are, what are the membership what can, what can be how do you go about uh, collecting that information I would say collecting how how do you source that information is there uh, is is it just through general communication or do you have you streamlined the process of collecting that Okay, so I, I don't have a streamlined process, and I'm going to say it's very organic. Um, here's what's really amazing. Because BDF exists, and maybe because other organizations exist, like a like a AREP, African American Real Estate Professionals, or maybe it's you know BCR, your organization, right? Black Real <laughs> yeah. Estate, is that now people have a locus, right? They know people people and organizations are coming to me, yeah, right who maybe didn't come to me before because they didn't have a place to come to. Like you think about placemaking, this is in case people don't know that term, it's or locus, which is sort of like the locale is black developers formed by branding and continually, you know, upping my communications game. People are like, oh, hey, I can go there to find out what they're doing and maybe what I've got they they need, right? Yeah. Being, being, because I think that, and that's one of the the powers of the network is that, you know, you don't have to know everything. You just need to know somebody who knows somebody who knows something. Yes, that's exactly right. So I have found it really interesting that since our inception and even more so now that a lot of entities are coming to me because they are curious. What is Black Developers Forum? Uh, what do you need? How can we work with you? How can we partner with you? What, 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 uh, how can you help us? So because I'm pretty crazy about marketing, which is really part of the reason I was hired, which is to increase the branding and the familiarity of the organization so that I can in turn do what our mission is. I cannot advance. I cannot represent. I cannot advocate if I'm not legitimate in the minds of the constituency. I'm if mm. I'm a non-entity, I'm not on the game board. Right? It's just not I can, you know, I never heard of you, I don't know what you do. What what do you got? I'm not legitimate. Mm. Do you find so it, it's important Go ahead. Well, well, no, do you, do you find it especially in the position that you sit that uh and you and you you have so many resources, so many connections and uh, when it comes to referrals and, and saying like, oh, you, you're looking for this, you should talk to this person. Um, is there a, a process that you have for that or is it just your own mental Rolodex that you have when somebody comes to you as a resource? Well, you know, I, there is some curating and discretion and really ferreting or filtering what comes to me because I, you know, I get, I take, I take all calls. Remember, I'm in sales. I take yeah. all the calls. Because you don't, you just don't know, right? So I take all the calls and then I decide whether or not they are really of value. Now, I'm not saying that they have no value. I'm simply saying that sometimes opportunities don't have any value for what I need. So, mm -hmm. but I always want to be polite, nice, and uh, listening because there still could be a connection. So I don't have a particular process, but I will tell you how I. Um, the things that I do that work for me is, and I'll, I'll go back to access to capital. So let's say I've had several conversations with some 
some sort of entities, plural, that are about money. Okay. So what I will do is I'm going to use you as an example. You've got some collaterals. You've got maybe a little one page ditty on, you know, what you do. Somebody else has a one page ditty and some links and a couple of PDFs, right? About grants or funds. You know, I got a LIHTC fund. I've got a so-and-so. And then what I do is I bring those things together literally in a marketing kind of a way with an infographic or some, you know, kind of a two page PDF. And I just send it out to my members. Hmm. Right. And I don't do it. It's not quarterly. It's simply, I need to do that. As soon as I get enough information, I don't like to bombard people with too much, you know, too many emails, but when it comes to money, it's important. So I don't Hmm. sit on that because sometimes that those deals or those opportunities have deadlines. So I want to make sure people get on it. It's like, Hey, this is, this has got a deadline. Uh, similarly, let's say you've got, um, and this is an important factor in what I do, which is not, not literal partnerships, but find myself collaborating with, uh, with like-minded organizations who do things I don't do. So BDF is a 501c3, whereas 501c4s are, say, a policy kind of an organization. I don't really do policy. I'm not proficient in that. But I do need policy people because I need to know what those policies are and how they affect what we are doing as Black real estate developers, anchored in housing or whatever it is. It is. How do policies affect what we're trying to do in the built environment? And so I might align myself with, for example, nonprofit housing of Northern California. They are policy wonks. They keep abreast of all the policies that come out of the state of California, the Senate bills and all these other things. They do trainings, they do workshops, any of that kind of stuff I send out to my members, right? Housing California or Urban Land Institute or whoever's got information that's valuable to my membership. I make sure that they know about it. How has it, how has your, is your process of uh, distributing that information? Do you use this? And this, I mean, you have to um, give a giveaway the, the, the secret sauce or the recipe, but when it comes to the, the tools that you use, have you, have you found that there's a certain tool that's better than others um, or is more efficient in, in from your point of view, as far as um, information sharing? So, so, you're probably aware of, you know, there's all kinds of utilities and software, you know, you can obviously use, you know, some sort of a CRM. Um, And then of course, on the nonprofit side, you have various kinds of software. You might have association uh, management software, right? That's what a big organization, Herbaland Institute, you know, Coronet, uh, you know, you name it, they're probably going to use an association management type of a software to help them with staying organized on an operational level. That helps them send out invoices, collect money, do that kind of stuff. Maybe it generates newsletters or or thank you letters or whatever, whatever, whatever else it might be. But in reality, I'm doing the ground game here, which is I'm using my email and I'm sending it straight out. I don't get yeah. I'm not getting fancy because I don't have time <laughs> for that. Right. Yeah. That's just one more thing. That's just one more thing. You know, I'm not saying this is a shortcut or it's, you know, not very fancy, but 
as Black real estate developers with limited resources and being on the clock, they need it now and it doesn't have to be fancy. Um, I remember yeah. a conversation I had with somebody uh, who asked me, oh, do, do you know, uh, do you have time to go and, you know, are you into lobbying and are you, do you really have time to sit around and listen to policy wonks? And I said, well, I don't have that kind of privilege. And I said, and neither do the developers that I represent. We mm-hmm. are, the, the, to be able to go and listen to legislative bodies go on about, that's privilege. We're over here trying to make deals happen. Yeah, We are on the clock. It is a different kind of a perspective, right? It'd be nice to have time to go to Sacramento and listen to people banter on about things, fight the good fight, but we don't have that kind of, we don't have that kind of privilege. That, that, that's coming later or at some point. And that, that, the point that you just made about, you know, people doing, you know, playing their role or doing their thing, that, that's the, again, the collaboration and, and being uh, associated or aligned with other people that, Hey, we'll, we'll do, we'll hold down this side of it. You do that. We come together, we share that information. Absolutely. And so that's another interesting part of my work is to find, you know, I'm gonna, you know we can use allies, we can use partners, um, joint ventures or associations, whatever that may be is, as I said, I'm smart, we're smart, but we don't know everything. So subsequently, I have to be, or I hope to be open enough to say, I don't know how to do that well. It's not my expertise but I need your help mm-hmm. and, and be open to the fact that, you know, there's no shame in asking for help. Um, it, it makes you better in many cases, and then you can do what you do better. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, a big part of, I get this, this podcast of what I'm doing is, you know, and again, this is, this is not, a BCREN podcast. However, I meet a lot of people through the BCREN that I'm very impressed by. Um, not necessarily just in in the network, but even so in my life, I just see yeah. a lot of people. And this is in many ways, my opportunity to find out what you know that I don't know that I could use in my life. Because I also, I realize things that I find useful for myself are also helpful for other people. And the listeners tell me now, um, I get feedback all the time that's like, oh, wow, this person said that. And it really, you know, resonated, it really um, lit me up. And now I'm ready to go pursue this. So I, it's just, it's just been a, it's been exactly what you said. It's been an opportunity to, to be in that listening and learning seat. So, yeah, I wanted to add something else when you, when you talked about, you know, techniques, tools or whatever else. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to keep it real here because I'm going to be really very honest. So I am a scriber. Okay. And I have big giant sticky paper in my office and I have a big bowl of markers and I write literally what I need to do. Now I'm not necessarily a super list person, but I write the key things down in my big or my big sticky and I stick it on my wall and I see what I need to do. Right. Real quick. When you, when you paint the picture here, cause you say big giant sticky paper, how yes. big and giant is, is the sticky paper? 
I mean, well, are we actually, are we talking? It's like the size of a like a normal loose leaf, or is this? No, no, know? no, no. I'm saying I think if you go to anybody's, you know, Office Depot or whatever, you've got like the, the largest size sticky paper they got. I think. It's, okay. I think it's eighteen by twenty four or something like that. Okay, all yeah, right. It's just I mean it's, it's just a big giant sticky, and of course I always get the kind that has the grid because I got to you know it's got to be like in the sort of shape of things right it can't be just free free writing but no, um, you did yeah you did you did start in the architecture at school so uh that yes yeah that yeah. makes so, sense so i so i have that but um one of the things that i also like to share with people is that one because i told you i'm a, you know i'm a salesperson or a revenue generator is what i like to say and i i tell people i'm in the follow-up business so if you're in sales of any type, it's critical that you follow up. Now, sometimes things fall through the crack, but I'm telling you, if you make a promise, follow up, right? It's like get back to people. And when I talk about collaborating or asking people for help in my email, in the subject line, I always put seeking your counsel. Hmm. Okay. And the reason I say seeking your counsel is because I feel pretty confident that when you ask somebody for their intellectual capacity, it feels very different than when you're asking them if like they, they want something from me. It's different than when they you're asking them for their opinions about a thing. Mm. Right? I like that a lot, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that, oh, that's a big door opener for me is when I ask people for their opinions, because most people, uh, let me just put it this way. So a long time ago, I did take a sales class. I took a Dale Carnegie sales class. Now, some people don't even know who the heck a Dale Carnegie is. And I would tell you to look it up. There's something to be said about the principles of a Dale Carnegie sales course. Now, I thought it was really cheeseball-y, you know, uh, make friends and influence people, blah, blah, blah. But the one thing I took away from that course many years ago was everybody has a dominant buying motive. Are you like, what is a dominant buying motive? There is something that motivates people to buy whatever you're selling. And it's not always the obvious thing that you think it is, right? It's not always what people tell you it is. So it's good to learn and meet people and talk to them to understand what it is that makes them, what compels them to listen to you about whatever it is you want them to hear or buy or understand. So I could walk into your office and if I noticed that you had a whole lot of trophies, for example, you know, hey, I'm a soccer player, you know, I got this award for this thing, you know, I got my accomplishments, I got my certificates, then I'm going to know immediately that that is an important factor in how I need to get to you. I think one of the things that taking from that is is that, uh, and I don't actually don't know if this one was Dale Carnegie, but it's in the same in the same vein of some. Uh, observable dis, uh, that's alluding, I'm, I'm butchering this, but it's alluding to a decision that they made or something that they've done because most people, when they put something on whatever it is, a shirt, they're glad, like they made a decision to, at some point to buy that shirt or to buy that hat or buy, and, and you comment on that, that's 
giving attention to their decision making. And I, I that that one has always stuck with me, although I don't remember the exact verbiage of it, but that that concept has always stuck with me. And a moment ago, and I know this is audio, so listeners will be able to see this, but I have this at my desk, this uh Dale Carney's golden book. And I actually I haven't actually looked at this for a while, but the fact that it's still so close to my desk um will tell you something about how it it, it yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty good stuff. Uh, they he he knocked it out of the park. <laughs> yeah, it's about psychology. Yeah, it's about, it's about human psychology, right? Um, how you connect with people, you know, and being humble sometimes, going back, atoning for whatever wrongdoings. I mean, but um, anyway, I didn't mean to get off the topic, but I wanted to bring that up because by asking to seek to seek somebody's counsel really means that you respect them. It implies that there's a respect there, right? Hey, what what do you think about a thing? Right? Mm-hmm. Um and I um I do this is unrelated but it's important, but I do um college and career counseling with high schoolers and I mostly work with black and brown kids who don't have resources. And um you know, yeah, sure. I help with essay writing and you know, making their college list, but the majority of the kids, that's a, that's easy. What they don't have is the ability to, they don't know how to engage with people. They are afraid to do it because they haven't done it before. Right. So it's no different than when you're a grown up. you say, I need something or I want something or I want to have access to somebody how do I get to them? Well, I got to get to them by asking more and more and more people. Hmm. Right. And by asking them, it's, I'm seeking your counsel. How, how do I, I want to be on a podcast with Dustin. How should I do that? Well, we're going to get his email. We're going to get somebody who knows him. And then by asking for you to help is usually a really great entree to getting to you yeah giving right like that that set that sense of giving and and giving giving to receive but yes. not not but not giving to receive correct yeah that's a that's a very that's a very important distinction kim you've been so gracious with your time i know we went over but i actually didn't know that we went over because i'm so engaged <laughs> in the conversation um, so thank you. Thank you for, for everything that you shared today. And so I'm going to, in the show notes, include a link to, uh, the black developers forum and your, your LinkedIn, your contact information, but is there anything, um, parting words or anything else that you want to highlight before we take off? Yeah. So before I got appointed as ED to Black Developers Forum. I was in a um, a program to become a master gardener. Hmm. Okay. And so remember we were just talking about people's dominant buying motives. And, and, and one, of, one of my things is I am a, 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 a I'm an achiever type, right? I, I, I like my certificates. I like my, I'm taking my classes. I like, I'm gonna collect the degrees. I'm gonna collect all that stuff because I'm a, I am a learner. I like to learn all the time and I'm gonna pursue that thing, 
right? I'm going to pursue it enough that I feel like I'm accomplished in it, right? I don't have to get a PhD in it, but I want to feel like I'm always skills building. So I'm an accomplished gardener and I have an amazing vegetable garden. It is phenomenal. Um, and I'm also a highly accomplished cook uh, and have spent some time with some significant chefy types. Um, and the reason I bring it up is because one of my goals uh being at Black Developers Forum is that I want every development that any of the people that I know to include a community garden. Because I think that people should have food because we should not have we should not have food deserts. We should not have people going hungry. So if there's any message I'm gonna to bring today, despite all the stuff I've said or in spite of it or whatever that is, is please know that whatever you're doing as developers or people in the built environment is to consider having a community garden where people can come together and they can at a minimum feed themselves. We're not going to take off just yet because you just hit something because that's amazing. Are, are there, are there um, programs that you recommend or that you work with that, that help develop? Is that something that, that you do as in your consulting work? So, um, I am an accomplished gardener, uh, but and the reason I got, wanted to do the Master Pro Gardeners program is because I really wanted to know even more about like soil conditions and environmental conditions. And I mean, there's just so much to it. It's, there's a science to it, right? Uh, and the Master Gardener program that I am in is through the University of California's extend, you know, continuing education program. But there are master gardener programs probably in every single state in every probably large, you know, metropolitan area, right? And community gardens where maybe, let's say maybe you live in an urban area and you don't have uh, access to, you know, your own, you know, maybe you got a balcony and all you can do is a simple thing, but there's probably a community garden in every major metropolitan area, whether it's immediately in your neighborhood, or somewhere else, but I am a big advocate that being close to the land um, does a lot for you. And when you can make your own food, like I have some killer cucumbers and my tomatoes are just popping off here. I've got some amazing uh, medicinal flowers. I got tomatillos and peppers, but the joy that comes from that is life affirming. And I would say as Black people who came from the land in 1619, that it is not far from who we are, is to be farming in some capacity. Kim, I love that. Um, thank you so much for your time. This has been, uh, it's been fun. It's been entertaining and it's, uh, it's been enlightening. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform, leaving a review, and sharing with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months with some very impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business who are making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and look forward to welcoming you back next time on Tools, Talents, and Techniques.